everybody Tyler Smith here uh, we've got a, a special supplemental episode for you much like we did last year uh, we couldn't find a way to fit in an official episode in which we talk about this year's Oscar nominations uh, but uh, what's and, and we are actually going to probably just not do an episode about it especially because uh, it feels like the nominations for me aren't quite as dramatic this year as they have been in the past, but uh, a previous guest said, hey, I would love to talk about the Oscar nominations, and I'm not going to turn that down. So uh, she was here fairly recently. It was only like maybe a month, uh, month and a half ago. Uh, Beverly Gray is back. Beverly, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, 2018's been interesting thus far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. It's uh, we're not far into it. Although it's it's flying by for me, but that's because I'm in school. Like I'm already into my fourth week, and it's I feel like the time is just flying by. But uh, but yeah. So um, so I'll lead with this before we get into like the individual categories or anything like that. What was it about this slate of nominees? Are you just always interested in the Oscar nominees, or is there something specific about this slate that, that got you interested? You know, I'm always interested. It's an annual thing for me. But this year, there have been certain social movements sure. that uh, have really been on people's minds in a dramatic way. And I think they've shown up on the page here with the nominations. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's very interesting to see how they're reflected in the voting. And of course, the Academy has really been trying, yeah. rightly or wrongly, you can argue that, yeah. uh, to change the balance of the composition of the voting block. Uh, there are a lot more women, a lot more international people, a lot more yeah. people of color, to use that fashionable phrase. There's yeah. a lot more people who's background's a little different, so yeah. that may have affected how these came out. I don't know, but that was something we're all paying attention to, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's something that, you know, friends and I have talked about is, you know, the inclusion of movies like Get Out and Lady Bird, um, both in picture and notably in, in the director categories. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's in the in the circles that I run in, there's a lot of cynicism in regards to the Oscars, especially when talking about recent rule changes and recent campaigns and that sort of thing. And so they look at like the inclusion of Jordan Peele in director or Greta Gerwig and they say like, oh, well, those are just, you know, those are are political uh, primarily. And in my view, it's like, you know what? They might be. I can't guarantee it, but their movies are really good. And I think Get Out is like one, and they're both uh, debut films as directors. And I think they're like such self-assured, solid debuts. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know if I would have nominated Greta Gerwig for director. I think Lady Bird is a very well-made film. I'm not sure if it's like a directorial achievement, but I think Get Out probably is. And so for me, it's strange. As I think I said uh, on the most recent episode that like, you know, if it comes down to my politics or my artistic instincts, artistic usually wins. And so like if uh, if there if somebody does something out of political motive, but it means that a really good movie gets recognized. So be it. I'm, I'm fine with it. I don't even care. And of course, throughout the history of the Oscars, as you've said, yeah. there have been nominations for political reasons, for emotional reasons. Yeah. People aren't. I mean, how anyway do we quantify yeah. uh, what is the best performance, for example? It's yeah. the one that hits us in a particular way, and it might be because of the issues it brings up. It yeah. might be because someone almost died, yeah. or someone did die, or... Or the actor what, gained weight or something. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes it's that. <laughs> what, whatever the emotions are. Yeah. And, and it may be a movie that I liked much earlier in the year that was absolutely overlooked was Wind River. I liked uh, it a lot. It's a terrific movie, and the maker of that movie, whose name escapes me entirely right now... Uh, uh, Taylor Sheridan. Has, did very well with... Heller, he wrote Sicario Hell, Hell, and he wrote Hell or High Water. Yeah. Yes. And uh, it surprised me that the studio didn't release it later in the year. Like, it could have gotten some Oscar buzz well, if it were released later. And part of the issue 
could be uh, that it had a Harvey Weinstein connection, and people are just uncomfortable with that. <laughs> that right is now. true. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is a you know, which is a bummer on another. That speaks to a another type of politics, not not necessarily like left or right leaning, but the politics of Hollywood. And, you know, it's not Taylor Sheridan's fault yeah. that Harvey Weinstein is a monster. Uh, you know, it didn't, to my knowledge, it didn't have any impact on the film itself. Maybe it did. I don't know. But, uh, but yeah. And so a movie, if that could be the case, and if it's the case, like a movie that I think is very, very solid with some really great performances all around um, gets not merely shut out, but generally ignored. Like, I don't think it had any kind of campaign behind it, right? Yeah. Well, timing is important, too, of yeah. course, and just all the logic of when you release a film and how you release a film. But if the mood had been different, uh, Dustin Hoffman was awfully good in the Meyerowitz stories. Yeah. And that movie was shut out completely. And yeah. And he was he was getting the most buzz, but then, of course, there's some allegations against him right now. And exactly. I think people are like, Believe okay. me, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, of course you would know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then one thing that I found interesting is that I've not seen all the money in the world by all accounts, Christopher Plummer is yeah. the best thing in it, which I don't doubt at all. I, I think he's a wonderful actor, but I also wonder if one of the reasons that he was nominated is not merely for his performance, but also because everybody knows the story behind it, which is like this guy came in at the last minute delivered a really great performance with minimal preparation. That's like, they might be rewarding that achievement more than the actual performance. Um, and so, yeah, this has been a very odd year. Um, and then to see the, the impact that it has had on the Oscar nominations, and I'm sure the show itself will be fun slash tedious as it always is. Um, but yeah, it definitely, uh, has been, an odd year. And I wonder if it's just going to be like this for the next few years. I feel like it, it could be. Yeah, I think, and uh, the hosts will be walking on eggshells, yeah. uh, as as happened at the Golden Globes yeah. and, and some of the other award shows. It's Although he it's had a, a great opening time. line where he said, well, a good, good evening, ladies and remaining gentlemen. I thought that was a wonderful opening line. But yeah, it's... Yeah. It's easy when, honestly, like it's easy when it's like, all right, we're all agreeing that uh, Donald Trump's a terrible guy, right? And we're just going to make fun of him. But it's like, oh, shoot, it's our own community now. How far are we going to go with this? Yes. Um, but uh, so as far as the nominees themselves, um, what, uh, and I remember you putting this in an email, but I want I wanna to, to get it here and have you uh, put it in your own words. Uh what nominees stand out for you either as a surprise, uh, pl positive or negative, um, or just something that you're happy about or unhappy about? We can jump around. We don't necessarily have to cover every category, obviously, but uh, any specific categories jump out, any nominations jump out at you, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm happy that was included. One that really would made me happy was the recognition of Phantom Thread, which is yeah. not a movie that fits into the discussion we just had. It's, yeah. It's not at all about some of the hot button issues of the day. Yeah. And of course, I love movies that do touch on those. And several on the list, of course, have. But Phantom Thread is a beautifully made and, and unfortunately you don't know because you only saw part of it the other day. Yeah. So listeners, here's what happened. I tried to see Phantom Thread last night, partially in, to prepare for this conversation. Also, I just wanted to see it for a while and hadn't gotten around to it. And I wanted to see it in the theater because it's, you know, a beautiful film as his movies tend to be. Uh, but Sadly, there was a drunken oaf in the theater sitting right behind me who uh, made his opinion known of the film. I'm, I don't know how he wound up in that movie. I don't know what he expected to get, but I guess he wasn't getting it and was, uh, but also found parts of it uproariously funny, but not in a way, there are yeah. moments that are amusing, but he's laughing, you know, like yeah. Robert De Niro in Cape Fear. And it's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to go get a refund and then pick up a screener from my friend and I'm going to, I'll finish it that way. Yes. It's very uh, screener season. Like, well, I'd love to see stuff in the theater, but then I have to deal with people and who wants that? Um, but what I saw was great. <laughs> the worst experience of that kind I ever saw was when I went to see 12 Years a Slave, which I saw during the daytime in a fairly empty theater. Yeah. And 
a man came in with a woman who was obviously uh, in some way or another impaired. Hmm. She clearly had some sort of dementia, and she kept talking. And, and I think everybody, the few of us who were there, just felt awful. And yeah. it was really hard to suffer with those slaves when I was thinking about <laughs> yeah. uh, here this real-life drama going on in front of me. Yeah. Uh, so I, I had an experience like that many years ago, I guess 10 years ago now, uh, with Frost Nixon. I went to see that, and there was a guy behind me who I think was... I think his, his friends had brought him. And if I had to guess, I would say that he was autistic with an obsession and, and, and tremendous knowledge of Richard Nixon, (laughs) because he would occasionally chime in with how this was not true, how this differed from the facts. And I was like, at first I thought he was just like a jerk. And then I realized like, oh, he can't, he doesn't seem able to help himself yeah. here. And obviously his friends or family or whatever, like, Oh, a Richard Nixon movie. We should take our, yeah. our brother or whatever it is to it. And he's like, Oh, oh gosh. You know, it's, I, I guess if I were in that situation, maybe I would too, but it's, it's tough, tough to know. Anyway, let's but get anyway. back to the, yeah, sorry anyway, about that. Phantom thread is, was fascinating to me because I mean, I wanted to see Daniel day Lewis in what may or may not be his last performance. I'd forgotten that I really didn't like Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. I've liked other mm. things that he did. Uh, that hothouse world kind of fascinated me, but it's it's not my top concern. Right. Uh, the making of clothes for fashionable ladies in 1950s London, it's not something that seems to be of imminent importance. Yeah. But it went in places I did not expect. Yeah, And it made me think about things in ways that I hadn't planned to. And I loved the idea of a movie sort of pulling me out of my expectations and introducing me to things where I had to say, I've got to think about that. What is this? Hmm. Uh, and that element of surprise, I, I realized how much I'd kind of missed it because I don't think... And some of the other very good movies on this list, I don't think there was a surprise to that same extent. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, everything about Phantom Thread, being a, a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson, like the fact that he made this movie at all is a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Um, and even just what I was seeing, you're right, like it does seem outside of what the Academy seems yeah. to be doing. This seems like, you know, Remains of the Day yeah. or Howard's End or like something that would have been yeah. nominated in the 90s uh, and certainly before that, you know, like Passage to India or whatever. Um, but uh, but in watching it, I do think in a way, I don't think Anderson was trying to do this at all, but in a way it's just like, all right, it's about a powerful man who's a bit of a womanizer. Like that does kind of play into... Yeah into what's going on right now. But I think beyond that, it's just it, even the 30 minutes I saw just seemed oddly refreshing because it's just a really wonderfully written, wonderfully shot, wonderfully acted period piece. Well, I would love to talk to you after you've seen the whole thing, (laughs) because it's, it's not simply, you know, womanizer and victim. There are other threads, so to speak, going through there uh, (laughs) that I found really, really fascinating. Let me see. Well, since we're looking at the, the best picture list. Sure. Um, I've enjoyed The Post a lot. That's the kind of movie that maybe in another year, in another era, yeah. would have been at the top of the heap. It's clearly not. I uh, thought it was going to be. I thought yeah. it was going to be up for a lot more than picture and actress. Um, uh, well, for me, having lived through some of the things that, well, uh, the whole era, I must say, Yeah. Uh, and realizing that I knew those things had happened, but I'd never quite understood them or paid attention. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, what can I say? I was young. Uh, But (laughs) uh, it was fascinating to see them laid out in a way that I could understand and be fascinated by. Yeah. So I I really appreciated that particular historical footnote. I thought it was well done. Yeah. Liked it a lot, but clearly it's not anyone's favorite this year. Which is so strange, given... You, I would have thought that the same instinct that caused Spielberg to make the film so quickly, yeah. which is, you know, the our current president's uh, disdain for the press, um, that that same instinct would cause the Academy to really 
champion it. Um, but, uh, yeah, just picture an actress and, uh, I certainly wouldn't begrudge that actress nomination. I think it's the best work Meryl Streep's done in a long time, but I, am surprised there wasn't like a screenplay or an editing nomination in there as well. But anyway, sorry, we can move on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, of course, a big surprise was that the picture that has seemed to be the darling recently, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, Mm -hmm. Uh, did not get a Best Director nomination. Yeah. and Because he did get a DGA nomination. He sure did. And and swept up at the Golden Globes. And, of course, the Golden Globes are always a little goofy. But uh, yeah. it's... And, and I think Martin McDonough is, is an amazing guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know some of his stage work. I... Uh, have seen in Bruges, which I thought was a remarkable picture. I, I, was, I love it, yeah. When I heard that he was making an American movie, because he's, of course, Irish, mm-hmm. uh, I was very interested to see how he would do it. I don't think it's a lovable movie exactly, yeah. but it, it it is full of surprises and it's full of fascinating people. And uh, certainly, I think in another climate, I think it's, it certainly would have gotten that Best Director nomination. Yeah, I think so. And when you realize that, and it was, it it clearly had, had a lot of momentum yeah. for a long time. And so, and when you realize that like, oh, he wasn't included in Best Director so that Paul Thomas Anderson could be, like, that's like a double surprise. Yeah. Because there was that fifth slot that I think all of us, especially after the DGA, we all thought that it was going to be McDonough and yeah. it, it wasn't. And, you know, and listeners know that, uh, and I think, I think you and I've, uh, talked about it, that, uh, I am not a big fan of three billboards as much as I want it to be. Cause I, lo- I do love in Bruges. I think it's a wonderful screenplay with wonderful performances, but I feel like three billboards is a bit, uh, I'll say unfocused and haphazard, but I do think the performances are good. And I think the film will get, I think three Oscars. I think it's going to I think it's going to get actress, supporting actor and probably original screenplay. So I think it could still win best picture. I mean, it's rare for a yeah. picture to win when it's not nominated for director, but it's not unheard of. Exactly. Uh, the two I have the two that are really kind of that I coupled together, well, I guess there's several little couples in this list okay. of best pictures. One, of course, is the um, the World War II group. Uh, the Dunkirk group specifically, yeah. like that uh, plays a big role in Darkest Hour. I can I confess that's the one movie I haven't seen. I have not seen Darkest Hour. It's it's not it's not very essential, honestly. Yeah. And I saw Dunkirk, but I saw it on my TV set, yeah. so. Uh, and I've got to say about Dunkirk, I could see the critical appreciation for it, mm-hmm. and of course for the scope of Christopher Nolan's career. And he's obviously a talented filmmaker with a real logistically challenging film. Yeah. But my husband and I sat there saying, "Wait a minute, are we in England or are we in France? And is this that particular pilot, or is this a different pilot?" Right. And why do all these young men look alike? And <laughs> <laughs> things like that. So yes. just following the story, yeah. I felt kind of like an outsider. And perhaps if I was talking to an English friend of mine who, of course, grew up with a great deal more awareness. She's also a little older than I, but also being from England, mm-hmm. just a much more essential knowledge of what happened uh, at Dunkirk and in some of the other battles of World War II. I mean, right. It was much something she took much more personally than I did. Uh, she might have been able to follow it better, but for me, just knowing which young man was on which ship and which pilot was in the air, and I was always being surprised by things that I think shouldn't have surprised me, Yeah, like when the one character was accused of being a spy because they hadn't he hadn't spoken in all this time and i didn't know I, that he hadn't spoken I know, all this I know. Time. yeah i was just like oh yeah i guess he hadn't oh well well 
I wasn't sure if he had or hadn't. <laughs> yeah. You know, you could have fooled yeah. me either way because. So, yeah, I yeah. definitely felt a distance from it. I actually yeah. only watched it last week on Blu-ray yeah. at at home. And I'd known a lot about like the different, the time compression here mm -hmm. and there. And I thought that's a really neat way of making a movie. But, and I think he, I think we're supposed to be at kind of a distance from it and not like artificially knowing these characters, but it is tough, especially all those, like all those young guys who I think they all do a good job, but at the same time, like I don't, I don't know the character names. I don't know the actors and they do all kind of look alike. And so when they actually do single somebody out like that yeah. character, I was like, I, it's, com it's, it's compelling on principle, but I don't know. It's, it's definitely a technical achievement and I think he does a very good job. I, I, I thought the film was very good, but I wasn't really brought in by it, but I'm not sure if I was supposed to be. I, I think he's doing something very specific and I think I admire it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, well, we but I think in a, I think in a previous in in a, in a different year, like he's he's the the front runner for director certainly, um, and I think for a while he was this year as well. And then well, uh, Guillermo del Toro kind of took it. It's not him. a lovable movie. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the other one that uh, for quite a long time, well, at the very beginning, I'd say of the season, they were saying, oh. Call Me By Your Name, you know, that's the movie. Yeah. And I finally saw that. I saw it in the theater. And it was kind of what I thought it would be. It mm -hmm. was beautifully acted, beautifully directed, beautifully photographed. It just kind of went on and on and sort of a this almost never-never land <laughs> Italy where everyone seemed to leave, live perfect lives and have perfect romances and yeah. pick perfect apricots off of the, <laughs> with, with, with a maid around to, to whip it up into, uh, you know, perfect uh, thirst-quenching drinks when you'd finished swimming in the river. <laughs> the perfect river, of course. Yeah, the yeah. perfect river, right. Uh, it just, yeah. It, it was hard to feel intensely much as I really liked the main actress performance, Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, and it's uh, that's actually the other film that I haven't seen. I haven't seen any of that one. Oh, I've I seen see. some of Phantom okay. Thread, but I haven't seen it. Those yeah. are the last two that I need to see. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, and I've heard great things about Timothy Chalamet, who I think also does a good job in Lady Bird. And, uh, I have a question for you about Lady Bird. Okay. Um, in him. I came away from that saying... I didn't understand what he was saying. He seemed to be in the sort of old Marlon Brando mumble school of, of, and I was hoping that it wouldn't be like that in Call Me By Your Name. And he's, he's not at all. He's perfectly clear, even okay. though the characters, you should know, have this maddening, because they're also educated, they have this maddening uh, ability to switch from English to French to Italian, oh. just back and forth. They, okay. they just kind of <laughs> can't be bothered with speaking one language at a time. You know, th they're intellectuals. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all do that, right? Uh, absolutely. Uh, uh, we. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. Uh, I do think that that's. I think that's a character choice. Uh, as far as Timothy Chalamet, I think he's playing a character that's remarkably pretentious, yeah. and it's entirely possible that the character himself is trying to trying to be mysterious and yeah. mumbly like a James Dean or a Marlon Brando or something like that. Um, so I think there's a lot of artificiality to the character, not necessarily. And I think Chalamet recognized that and just see that this is a very affected young man. And so I, I think he certainly isn't, he certainly isn't very likable. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, that's by design, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's I think it's a good performance. I think I would have liked to see more of him, but maybe that's the point as well is that he's he's kind of unknowable. Well, in Call Me by Your Name, he's extraordinarily likable. Okay, and uh, he comes through. I mean, the, the camera loves him, and yeah. uh, he's wonderful to look at. And, and you know, you see well, you see a lot of him in many different ways, but yeah. uh, particularly the ending where. It is him. It's just all him, mm -hmm. and um, I won't go further because I don't want to ruin everything okay. for you. But he's—it's really quite extraordinary. And of course, having never heard of him, and he suddenly yeah. come out of nowhere, 
And then I realized he is the uh, the nephew of somebody that I used to know quite well. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, a Corman, Roger Corman buddy of mine, whose name is Rodman Flender, is his uncle. His uh, uh, He's Rodman's sister's son. Oh, okay. And I always thought that Rodman was a very unusual and interesting-looking person. And hmm. there's something of that same quality of being kind of thin and intense and with bright blue eyes and yeah. uh, you know so it's kind of I kind of feel like I half know him that I don't uh, <laughs> but uh, he's he's pretty extraordinary uh, so that's call me by your name in my opinion uh, and it's worth noting that like I still think Gary Oldman's going to win best actor I think it's it's practically a guarantee but it's not 100% because of Timothy Chalamet, like people are saying really that he really carries that it's a good movie all around, but like it is his movie. Like you said, like towards the end, it's all him. Yeah. And for a 22 year old actor, that's really something. Um, I and so of, I still think it's going to be Gary Oldman, but it's, it's kind of interesting you that know, this kid. Uh, I'll pull on my mom hat. Uh, I kind of would rather he didn't get it because I kind of like seasoned actors getting awards. Mm. And because I think, as you say, a 22-year-old kid, I think that could really screw you up. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true, it could. Uh, he just, I don't think, I mean, he's getting plenty of attention now and, and deserves it. Right, the other two I tend to think of together, and I think that makes sense, uh, is Get Out and, and Lady Bird, because yeah. they tap into two of the social issues that we've really been paying attention to in the last year. Yeah. And I'm a little uncomfortable in saying that by the time I saw Get Out, and I again I saw it, uh, you know, on my TV set mm. here, the copy borrowed from my library, I kind of knew what was going to happen. I mean, I had heard enough about it without anyone outlining the entire plot for me, but yeah. it just was very clear to me what was going to happen. That it was a clever and interesting idea, and I wasn't sure who all was in on it. Yeah, but uh, without. The element of surprise, I felt kind of cheated when I saw it. So I'm mm. interested to hear more of your perspective on it. Uh, same deal, actually. Like, I missed it in the theater, and then I just kept not seeing it. Uh, and it was, you know, it was talked about a lot at school um, because of the issues that it tapped into. And so I had a fair amount of it spoiled. Not all at once, like yourself. Yeah. You, just like in fits and spurts. And like, okay, I think... Putting all this together, I think I might have the whole movie in my head. Yeah. Um, and then so I finally saw it for the first time maybe like two or three weeks ago. And yes, it turns out, like like you, like you yourself, like there are one or two instances where like, oh, okay, I didn't know about that. Um, but uh, it didn't keep me from enjoying it. it. I do realize that like if I didn't know that, that would have been a nice reveal. I think I would have enjoyed that. Um but I think I feel like it's so well directed and so nicely acted. And I don't think I realized quite how funny it was going to be. I should have because Jordan Peele is a primarily a yeah. comedy guy. Um, I don't think I realized because I think people when talking about it being funny, I think they meant I thought they meant absurd, which it is in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. But I don't think like his friend, I didn't expect him to really be anything. And he's there the whole time and is just saying hilarious things in a hilarious way. And, uh, so I still managed to enjoy it, but I do think that like, I cursed myself for not seeing it in the theater at the time. Cause I feel like that would have been something really special, a movie that nobody knew about, nobody expected anything from. And then it's just this amazing, it just bursts onto the scene and, uh, and yeah, but it didn't, it didn't necessarily ruin it for me, but it did make me bummed that I angry at myself that it had not been more of a priority earlier in the year. I mean, it certainly has deserved its success and it certainly oh, yeah. has deserved, you know, the money it's earned and the talk that it stirred up. Is it a best picture? <sighs> I don't think so. Um, I think there's, I think it's wonderfully written. I think it's really well edited. I'm very excited that Daniel Kaluuya has gotten as much recognition as he has. Cause that is, you know, one thing that people have talked about that I'm on board with is that like 
this is a horror movie that's nominated for Best Picture. That's very rare. But I think what's even more rare is an acting nomination from a horror movie. Like that's it never happens because I think people don't understand how difficult Silence it can be. The there is that, yes. But I feel like uh, uh, Clarice Starling, J- Jodie yeah. Foster's character, she's because there's an investigative quality to mm-hmm. it. There's a lot of she's very proactive. Whereas like when you think of like a lot of horror movies, like when I think of like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and that Marilyn Burns who plays, uh, now I don't remember the character's name, but she's the, the one that doesn't die. Um, the one that is not massacred with a chainsaw in Texas. Um, and I think her performance is great because she just has to keep that level of intensity the whole time. And it's like, that's very difficult to do, but because there's no clear character arc, people don't value that. And you know, Daniel Kaluuya's character, it's not that he's necessarily passive, but it's more just, he's just discovering things or things are happening to him and he's responding. And so I think it's a very reactive character as horror movie characters tend to be in this type of horror movie. And I'm glad that, that people still recognized how strong his performance was. Um, so that is actually a very pleasant surprise for me as a best picture though. I think it, I think it taps into something socially. I think it made a lot of money, and I think it was a surprise. You know, um, in the same way that like the Sixth Sense—not that it tapped into anything yeah. socially—but the Sixth Sense was nominated yeah. for like picture director, yeah. and just because nobody expected it, yeah. and it made a ton of money. And so I think I think all of those work together for it to be a Best Picture nominee, and and I'm fine with that because um, like, hey, neat, a horror movie got nominated for best picture. That's rare. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure if I'd say it, it belongs in there. It's in my personal top 10 of the year. Uh, cause I just love it so much, but yeah, I'm, I'm reluctant to go that far. I feel I should see that one again. Maybe I watched it somewhat skeptically mm. and, and I think the, the fact that I don't have the world's biggest, most impressive TV set yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe makes a difference. I do want to watch it again. That's the other thing. Like it's a film that I feel like it, it's very entertaining and I do want to watch it. You know, I watched it cause my wife actually just took the initiative and bought it for me. And I was like, neat. Now I just have it and I can just watch it whenever I want. And I probably will return to it a few times. Uh, and I, I lump it with Lady Bird because that yeah. of all of them, obviously uh, there are some other important heroines, but that's the one that seems to be focused the most yeah. on, young women and women coming into their own and of yeah. course Greta Gerwig and so on. Yeah. And it was a movie I enjoyed, I understood, mm-hmm. I I um, liked seeing her evolution. I think Saoirse Ronan is wonderful. I mean, I was a big fan of hers in Brooklyn. Yeah, that was my favorite movie that year. I yeah. absolutely adored it. I and, and you know, the interesting thing about Brooklyn is I'd read the novel, mm. and I liked the novelist, but that novel didn't do much for me. It just seemed kind of, you know, soap opera-ish. And I honestly, coming away from it, could not remember which romantic choice she made at the end. Hmm. So, obviously, the novel didn't particularly work for me. Yeah. But in the movie, it was clear what she just had to do. Maybe yeah. she wouldn't do it, but if she didn't, it would have been a tragic mistake. Uh, and probably a lot of that is because of her performance. Yeah. Like it's just such a clear, distinct type of character. Uh, and the, you know, a, what is her name? Ailish yeah. uh, in Brooklyn. Like she's such a nice person and such an accommodating person. You wouldn't think that somebody like that would be so memorable uh, or so distinct, but she really is. Yeah. And when you think of like that character and Ladybird, like they're miles away from each yeah, other. Like they are. it's hard to believe it's the same performance. Like she does a pretty flawless American accent, if nothing else. Oh God, yes. Um, and yeah, it's it's a film that I wanted to like it more than I do. I think I I had an expectation, a high expectation for mm-hmm. it, but I can't really find anything particularly wrong with it either. It's just a really really good movie. It's I think a great little movie. Yeah. And, uh, and I guess there's nothing wrong with, with little movies. I remember, boy, to go way, way back in time, and this is before I was old enough to have seen it, but my parents being absolutely 100% thrilled when the movie Marty won yeah. the Oscar because here was a little movie that had beat out, I don't remember what 
its competition was, but probably was, everything was bigger. That was the era of yeah. big epics and yeah. you know war pictures and things yeah. like that. And it was a little story about a little person that just yeah. had had the heart. Yeah. So I, I'm not against those small movies. I, I love yeah. the idea of small movies, but it, it's just not the one. And I, I've heard people, particularly fe- women, saying. I love that. That was my favorite movie. And yeah. for me, it, it wasn't really. Yeah. And, and it might be a situation where like, well, I was never a high school girl. I mean, I was in, I, I did do high school theater and that really rang true. Just seeing those little oh, games they played and stuff. So like. That was great. And, and hearing the Sondheim songs. Yeah. Yeah. I really did like that. Yeah, I was a, a theater nerd too, but uh, and I thought the ending was was very charming, where she yes. kind of came into her own in a way you would not have guessed. Yeah, and it's just a, a nice uh, and a relationship with her mom and her dad. I really like Tracy Letts as her dad. I thought the acting was great all around, and I bought every single one of those performances and the relationships. Like they all seemed very real to me. And there was some interesting stuff, like the yeah. father going for a job interview and discovering that his son was up for the same yeah. job. You know, it's uh, it's just an, yeah. Uh, so yes, it's but, a nice a nice specificity. Yeah, that didn't need to be there. Yeah. but it's a nice little a nice little thing there. Yeah. Okay. Well, the uh, one I have not talked about is is what I love, which is the Shape of Water. Okay. And that. That really grabbed me. I think my husband would probably say he liked it less. Our tastes are a little different. But uh, that that was a really special movie for me. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought Sally Hawkins was amazing. She is great. Like, it is it is a bummer as far as Oscars go. Um, I feel like Best Actress is, it's almost a guarantee it's Frances McDormand. But if, there, if there's a second choice, it's probably Saoirse Ronan. Which is a bummer because I think my favorite of the bunch is Sally Hawkins. Yeah. I think she does. I've been a fan of her since Happy Go Lucky uh, in 2008. I never saw that. Oh, it's marvelous. Uh, so I've been a fan of hers for a while. And just there's she's so expressive as she needs to be yeah. uh, in the film. And after a while, I don't even really I don't even realize I'm not even thinking about the fact that she's not actually talking yeah. because she's still communicating yeah. so clearly. And it's such a vulnerable, delightful performance. You know, she doesn't really feel sorry for herself. That's the yeah. other thing. And you feel so deeply what she's feeling. Yeah. Uh, and there are a lot of things about that movie I loved. I love the art direction. I love oh, the, yeah. you know, living above the old theater and yeah. Richard Jenkins and uh, yeah. And I'm very happy he was nominated. Yeah, it's it's a great cast. Are you a Del Toro fan in general? Like, well, um, Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah. I don't know what else of his I've seen, but I've certainly seen Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, and I do know, uh, I know that David has said that he thinks uh, Shape of Water is Guillermo del Toro's best film. And I haven't seen them all. I haven't seen Devil's Rejects, for example. Um, I've seen a good number of his other films, and I do think I, I think I like Pan's Labyrinth more. I just mm-hmm. feel like it's just more magical. Um, but the, this film, like, beautiful score, really great art direction, and... And it's looking like now that Martin McDonough is not nominated yeah. for director, it looks as though Shape of Water is the front runner for picture at this point. Um, kind of does, and I would certainly not fight that. <laughs> I don't think I would either, because I don't necessarily. I'm not completely in love with the film. I think I like, I like the individual components of it more than the the whole. But I mean, what an odd movie to win picture. Yeah. That would be great. I'd be yeah. so excited for him and and uh, our friend Doug Jones, who plays the fish man. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm always, you know, when I don't consider myself necessarily an Oscar historian, but it is a thing I think about a lot. And so in the same way that, like, I can get excited when Marty yeah. wins Best Picture, um, anytime the, the Oscars do something a little bit different for them, for them. I, I always get excited and I think shape of water, I think it would be a little bit different for them, but like yeah. they're not opposed to fantasy, but this isn't, this doesn't seem like pure fantasy either. It's like this odd little monster movie that isn't quite so monstrous. And I don't know. I, I really, I do like it and I like the idea of it winning. It's interesting. I kind of mentally found myself comparing it to three billboards, which is, mm-hmm. you know, another one that's gotten a 
you know, a lot of potential, a yeah. lot of awards. And I think it's kind of says something about you, which way you lean. If, you know, mm -hmm. if, are you a little bit more of a romantic and, and a hopeful person? Or um, three billboards, there's, you could say there's a, a soupçon of, uh, of hope at the end, maybe, but there's some, some miserable, unhappy people that yeah. have, you know, everything in the world goes wrong for them. And yeah. uh, you have to be extremely cynical and, and, and bitter to, I mean, I, I, love, I love Frances McDormand in general, and I loved her in Fargo. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not quite as much in love with her in this just because of who the person is. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, it's weird, I guess, between those two, I guess I am more of a romantic, uh, but it could just be because I, I was disappointed by three billboards. Uh, looking at having not seen Call Me By Your Name or all of Phantom Thread, I think my preference for Best Picture, like if it were up to you, what would you yeah. give Best Picture? Shape of Water? I think I probably would, yeah. I think for me, uh, looking at just looking at what is here, probably either Shape of Water or The Post. I actually, I did like, yeah. the I'm a sucker for journalism movies yeah. though. I really like them. I, and I, well, I really like The Post too, yeah. but it, it just seemed, it almost, it was set in another era and it kind of seemed like a movie from another era. That is true. Yeah. Yes. Um, cause that's the other thing is like, you know, uh, when you, when you have my politics, you tend to read a lot of, you just kind of absorb like what the conservative attitude towards certain movies are. And, uh, when you're me, it's very infuriating, but, uh, they're added the attitude of many con commentators towards the post is that like, Oh, look, they're trying, you know, uh, the media, which the, you know, the media, this big yeah. thing, this big mono monolithic thing, like, oh, they're trying to, like, show you, they're trying to uh, reassert their relevance and that sort of thing. Meanwhile, like, they got last year's election, they got the 2016 election very, very wrong and all that sort of thing. And and they're just so antagonistic towards the, the media. And so, um, but it uh, and it is interesting that, like, in order to, f to have a, an, an inspirational film about a media triumph, yeah. like you do have to look significantly backwards because yeah. I think everything is just so editorial based now that, uh, I, I don't know if anybody would be inspired by, by journalism now, even though I still like the idea of it. Yeah. So, well, as, as journalists get fired left and right yeah. and you know, papers shut down and so on. Yeah. But, uh, so now there's a you know there's a a lot of other of a lot of other categories uh, that we could uh, could talk about. I never saw the Florida Project, by the way. I love it so. I, Did you? I think it has a, a a difficult ending, but artistically, I mean, I think they could have done it better. But it is a really special movie, and it is a that actually is kind of a a sad thing for me because um, this season um, Florida Project was being was nominated for a bunch of critics awards yeah. and some industry as well. Um, and the fact that it is only up for one Oscar, which is supporting actor, which is the one it was guaranteed to be nominated for. But you know, that one could have been up for picture. Uh, it's the type of film that could, that, you know, stands to reason, but you know, it might just be that it's a cast of, of non-professional actors or at least no name, mm -hmm. uh, actors, uh, with one that you've heard of, which is Willem Dafoe, uh, made by a director that isn't really well known. And it seems very improvisational. So I could see the, the Academy, like, you know, they might be very forward thinking at the moment, but they're still the Academy and they're not going to nominate a film that small, but it would have been a nice surprise if they had. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I think, um, I mean, I'm fine to, to move on because one thing that you mentioned, uh, in your email was that, uh, you know, it's, we're now 50 years out from the, the, from the Oscars of 1968, which would then cover 1967. Right. Um, and you said that you wanted to mention those Oscars specifically. And so what, uh, what's, What's so special about that? Surely, what investment do you have, you an author about, of a book about uh, The Graduate, what investment do you have in that year? Okay. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Uh, well. Now, uh, what is the name of that book, by the way? 
Well, I think, anyway, uh, my book is called Seduced by Mrs. Robinson, How the Graduate Became the Touchstone of a Generation. Mm -hmm. And it's about not only how that particular little film knocked people off of their feet at the end, the tail end of 1967, but did very well up against the major players of 1968 at the Oscars. Mm -hmm. But it happened to be a particularly interesting Oscar ceremony because I believe it was the only time in Oscar history that the Oscars, at the very last minute, were postponed. Really? Yes, because, and I always have to look up the dates to make sure I get this right. There okay. was a, an American tragedy occurred uh, just before the Oscars, and that was on April 4th, 1968, and the assassination of Martin Luther King. Oh, yes. Well, that'll do it. Yes. And given the feelings of the members of the Academy and a very strong stand by five major participants who are going to be part of the ceremony, Rod Steiger, Sidney Poitier, Louis Armstrong, Diane Carroll, and Sammy Davis Jr., hmm. they said something had to be done. The funeral was scheduled. As I said, the, the slaying of Dr. King was on the 4th. The Oscars were scheduled for the 8th. The yeah. funeral for Dr. King was on the 9th. Right. So they postponed the ceremony until the 10th, 10th of April. Hmm. And it was a two-day delay, but that's never happened before. Yeah. But because of what had happened, because everybody in the House knew what had happened, uh, it had to be referred to, and no one quite knew how. Yeah. So on the one hand, the president of the Academy, Gregory Peck, said some very gracious words, and that was a good thing. But then Bob Hope, whose job was to be funny, and who at that point in his long life was kind of losing touch with how to be funny and who to be funny for, Yeah. Uh, he quipped that it had been really hard on the nominees to have their ceremony delayed for two days, and he said something like, uh, you, you got to feel sorry for them. It's really hard to spend two days in a crouch. And <laughs> that wasn't, wasn't exactly yeah. great. And then at the end of the ceremony, he came out again, uh, sometimes smarmy, Bob Hope, and said, you know, the man from Atlanta had a dream, meaning, of course, Dr. King. The man from Atlanta had a dream. And the producers of this year's <laughs> movies, they had dreams, too. <laughs> so he kind of didn't know. It had to be brought up. Yeah. And this was a year when a number of the movies, and I'll, I'll tell you in a moment what the five nominees were, really were paying attention. Yeah. I mean, that's what first got me interested in writing a book about an Oscar-nominated film of 1967, which was that that was a year when I was toward the end of my college years, when movies started paying attention to what was going on around them, in, mm -hmm. in the society around them, because... In some previous years, there had been some of the big winners, lovely movies, Sound of Music, yeah. Man for All Seasons, great yeah. historical epics. Uh, nice movies had you know, some meat to them, but they didn't feel like movies about now, is what we saw as now. Yeah. And here comes the year 1967, and fortunately, again, there were five picture nominees, as there were for so many years, most of them were really movies that were definitely paying attention. One of them was Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Right. So it was a movie uh, which, to some people, made the idea of an interracial romance and potential marriage palatable. I mean, mm -hmm. You can quibble about the artistic merits of the film. Right. But it was an important big movie with yeah. Catherine Hepburn, Spencer yeah. Tracy, and Sidney Poitier. Yeah, it, it's a film that I think a lot of people consider dated because it was so much about this issue that I think has since become fine culturally. Yeah. Um, and people are like, well, it's not that essential of a movie. It's like, yeah, but the acting is great all around. Like, as a film, it, it's it's fine, 
but I think I can watch Spencer Tracy do yeah. anything because he's just such a naturalistic uh, actor. But I think everybody's really great in it. And I think it's worth watching if for nothing else. And of course, there are other reasons. But if for nothing else, I think it's a great ensemble film. But sorry, go on. Yeah. And I'm very interested in the career of, of Stanley Kramer. And I, I don't think he's the world's greatest director, but certainly yeah. one with who had strong feelings and... As you say, the movie is dated. The movie, to a lot of people, particularly to a lot of young people, felt dated in 1967 sure. and 68, and they made fun of it. Uh, and they were sort of indignant that in order to make him the perfect marital candidate for the young girl, the daughter of Tracy and Hepburn, he's... You know, a world famous doctor yeah. who's, uh, <laughs> you know, travels extensively around the world, saving lives and, you yeah. know, in, in, in uh, countries that are under siege by epidemics. I mean, he, he, he's the perfect individual. Uh, and they, they just didn't buy that at all. It didn't yeah. feel real to them. I don't think it ever felt real to anybody, but it was, I think there was some, some method to the, to the madness. It yeah. was a movie that made a drawing room comedy out of something that, to a lot of people, was an, an issue that was really upsetting to them. Yeah. So that at the same time that the college students were saying, ah, that's, you know, you're not being brave at all. And Stanley Kramer was getting death threats. I've seen them. Yeah. And, and was, you know, horrible letters saying that, you know, they hope, you know, it's too bad the Nazis didn't get him and, and oh. you know, hope the whole family should die of cancer, and et cetera. So, I mean, there were... Th this movie worked with middle America yeah, because of its very blandness, really. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Um, Do... Okay, so this might be far-fetched. Do you think it was at all in Jordan Peele's mind that he was making a movie 50 years after Guess Who's Coming to Dinner about a black guy going to visit his white girlfriend's family. I, I think there's something of that. And I think yeah. the early critics said that oh, did they? as okay. well. And of course, there was another switcheroo on that called uh, Guess Who's with, with Bernie Mac. <laughs> That's right, so there was, yeah. you know, it was a silly comedy and yeah. very amiable. Uh, so, But I, I think some of that trope... Uh, yeah. Yeah, was in Jordan Peele's mind. I, I, I do think that. Yeah. Okay, so that was one of the nominees. One of them was, again, a racially charged, oriented picture, Guess um, In the Heat of the Night. Which I love. Norma Jewison. Yeah. Saw it again just recently in the Turner Classic Movie Festival, yeah. and it's... Uh, it, it works really well. And if you notice, it's also Sidney Poitier, because who is the, the black actor of, of the day? It yeah. Is, Sidney Poitier, who, by the way, had not two, but three hit movies that year. What was the third one? To Sir With Love. Oh, yeah, okay. He made a fortune that year and was given a very impressive contract. He was the highest paid male, well, male, so of course. He was the highest paid actor in Hollywood yeah. uh, that year. Hmm. So there, those were the two pictures about race. Yeah. Then there was The Graduate, which, of course, I have argued in my book which is called Seduced by Mrs. Robinson. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Uh, uh, that had a lot to say about how young people were feeling about the older generation, about their place in the world. Yeah. And Bonnie and Clyde. Right. Which, of course, is a period piece set in the 1930s, yeah. historic gangsters, but is really capturing a lot of the feelings about violence yeah. In the late like, '60s, Arthur Penn. I was lucky enough to interview Arthur Penn, who told me that he very deliberately wanted to capture the feelings, you know, the the real life bloodshed of a Vietnam battlefield mm -hmm. or the assassination of President Kennedy, which yeah. occurred five years before, four years before. Uh, so Bonnie and Clyde, to young cineast types and people who with with uh, passion for European films, et cetera, of course, that was their yeah. their chosen favorite. It, that was the most outrageous in many ways and the most stylistically brilliant, brilliant film. Yeah. So those were four okay. nominees. Number five. Do you know what number five was? 
I think I probably did know at one point because uh, on my other show, we spent time going through like every best picture winner, which meant yeah. talking about the other nominees, but I am having a hard time pulling it. Well, what do we got? I'm going to hit Rex Harrison. Okay. Yeah. Is it Dr. Doolittle? Yes. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it yeah. is a really pathetic, overblown, not very clever yeah. musical about Dr. Doolittle or a version of Dr. Doolittle as played by Rex Harrison, yeah. attempting to take some of his charm from My Fair Lady yeah. uh, and put it into a movie about a man who can talk to animals. Yeah. Uh, some bad special effects. Well, they didn't have as many options. So poor yeah. Rex was out there, you know, with 70 sheep surrounding him trying to, <laughs> you know, sing songs and things. But uh, And he's not, he wasn't that great of a singer on top of everything no, else. No, he was not. And he was an obnoxious fellow. I've, <laughs> I've read his correspondence with the people making the movie. and he, I could see it. Oh, he, he was quite an awful guy. <laughs> so, you know, I have no, no affection for him whatsoever. It's... Yeah. Uh, it also has, uh, if you know who Jeffrey Holder was, he played the, um, Jeffrey Holder is a very tall Caribbean black man. Okay. He um, was a Broadway dancer, choreographer of The Wiz. Oh, okay. Uh, he did some very famous commercials for 7-Up. Hmm. Uh, he was a colorful guy, very yeah. colorful guy. I, his wife was my first dance teacher, so I knew him a little <laughs> teeny bit. Uh, he had some some things to say about Rex Harrison, I assure you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but he played the um, the doctor. You know, part of it's the voyages of Doctor Doolittle. So he goes sailing off. He ends up on this island where right. um, Jeffrey Holder is kind of the the king. Got it. Yes, um, and so. Aside from everything else that's awful about the movie, in an era where people were concerned about racial issues. Here we've yeah. got this, this movie where they go off and have people running around in loincloths. And, uh, yeah. And it's, it's totally obnoxious. It is interesting that, like, I mean, four of them are movies that, I mean, admittedly, not everybody talks about in the heat of the night, especially in, in the same way they talk about, like, Bonnie and Clyde and certainly The Graduate, or even Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Like, even though it won Best Picture, it's a film that has been a little bit forgotten, except for, you know, they call me Mr. Tibbs and yeah. stuff like that, which is a bummer because I think I do love that film. It's on a very a, well-made movie. And beautifully acted. And I'm, I've always been a big fan of Rod Steiger as an actor. Yeah. He's just very interesting. But uh, but you've got these four movies that uh, are one way or another just really reflective of a change. And then you've got this, yes. this dynamic that even if, even if the other four were just like very standard Oscar movies, you just have this this fifth film that is just that did not by make money. Terrible. That it didn't was make not money. was did not make money. Was not very good, but no. they had some very lavish receptions on the Fox lot for, I'm sure. for for Academy voters. So uh, that that may have helped. Yeah, but here are some of the movies that were not nominated for Best Picture: In Cold Blood, yeah, uh, Cool Hand Luke. Two for the Road. Hmm, that's a great movie. That's a great movie. It's but, difficult to watch sometimes because, yeah. well, you know, yeah. if you're married, you're like, oh boy, this is rough. Yeah. It's how I remember this. So that's why that year fascinates me. Both the tragedy of what was happening in real life, mm -hmm. 1968 was a tough, tough year because, yeah. of course, aside from the assassination of King, there was the loss of Robert Kennedy. Yeah. There was. Um, the escalation of the war in Vietnam, which yeah. started in, in 67 and was really happening by 68. Uh, and then 68 is when Nixon was actually elected, correct? Yes. Or is that the next year? Yeah. Okay, yeah. 68. So that's, you know, there's that as well. There's yeah. a lot. It's a very turbulent year, actually, It was I guess. extremely turbulent. And there was just tremendous anger on campuses. There was tremendous... I mean, that's why I feel that... Uh, some of the emotions that young people read into The Graduate mm -hmm. were kind of things that were in the air. It was not what the filmmakers had set out mm -hmm. to be about. They weren't saying, well, let's show how the youth of the late 60s are, are angry. 
They were focusing on one particularly um, disaffected young man yeah. uh, who gets himself into quite a pickle. But uh, <laughs> so some way to, to put it, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was young people found it found in that film uh, some of their own anger. Yeah. And some of them didn't find it angry enough. And those were the, the Bonnie and Clyde fans. Yeah, yeah that's true. It's, uh, you know, it, it explores violence, but it also explores like this very, it, it definitely makes heroes of like these young rebellious people who are just like, yes. you know what, I've had it with this depression. I've had it with the, the banks and all that sort of thing. We're going to do our own thing. And yes, there are major consequences to it, but you know, they die very violently, but also very heroically yeah. in a lot of ways. And they leave beautiful corpses. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, one of the most interesting conversations I had when I was researching that era was with a uh, someone named David Harris, who was mm. uh, he was student body president at Stanford in that turbulent era, and became very involved with anti-war movements and refused to be drafted, and you know came out leading a movement of people mm -hmm. refusing to be drafted. He eventually, as part of his political agitating, met and ultimately married briefly Joan Baez. So mm. they, were, uh, they were certainly a glamour couple of, yeah. of the left at, at that time. But I had a really interesting conversation with David, who's a bright guy. And uh, I, you know, he was passionate about the film Bonnie and Clyde. That was the one of that era that really meant a lot to him more than any of the others. And I said, well, here you gave up your freedom. I mean, you went to prison rather than go into the army and kill people. How could you love this movie Bonnie and Clyde where the heroes are killers? Mm -hmm. And he said, my government was treating me as a criminal, so how, how was it I couldn't, you know, I had to identify with the criminals. Yeah. That's so true. that shows you some of the complicated moralities of the era. Yeah. Yeah, it would be interesting given how charged that year was, and then of course 50 years later how charged things are right now. Um, you know, it's, I'm, I'm TAing for a class at UCLA right now, and that involves teaching a total of 40 students that are like 18, 19, 20 and that sort of thing. And very few of them are actual film students. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the stuff that we're watching in class, it's their first time seeing it, you know, stuff like ET, uh, the piano, that sort of thing. Um, and it would be interesting if I were to say like, Hey, all right, everyone, you're going to watch the best picture nominees from, from 50 years ago, or one of them isn't going to be so great, <laughs> just a heads up. But the other four, like, I really want you to engage with them. And I feel like a lot of them, a lot of those films still have tremendous relevance to today one way or another. I, that would be an interesting exercise. If you do that, let me know how it comes out. Well, officially, I can't assign it because I'm not the actual teacher. I'm just a TA. But I might throw it out there as a possibility. Yeah. Just be like, hey, if anybody wants, I don't know if I can actually assign extra credit. <laughs> just be like, hey, if anybody wants to do this and it serves no function at all except your own in, your own uh, oh. curiosity. But yeah, I'll put, I'll put it out there this week. Yeah, okay. Let, let me know. <laughs> I will. Um, um, but of course, one huge difference. Obviously, people are disaffected now and are anxious and... There's one, well, there are many differences, but one of the really big differences is right now nobody's getting drafted. Yeah. And that's when it's a matter of, for the whole, you know, 50% of the population, you know, yeah. it's the idea of putting your body on the line. You, yeah. you, you, you do think harder about what it is you believe in. Yeah, that's true. It's, you know, I remember my, uh, my grandpa, uh, my mom's dad was, you know, a fairly conservative guy and uh, and I remember asking him as I started getting older and becoming more interested in like the sixties and seventies, I asked him like, Hey, what did you think of Vietnam? And of course I said that I asked yeah. this knowing that he was a pretty conservative guy. And yeah. if, if you were conservative or Republican at the time, you were probably in favor of it. And he's like, yeah, we didn't need to be over there. He goes, I didn't like the idea of it at the time and I don't like it now. And I was like, that surprises me, yeah. but it's, you know, he had been in world war two and the idea of like being drafted and a couple of his sons went yeah. to Vietnam and thankfully came back. Um, it's just like, like you said, like uh, when you have, this is going to sound almost like I'm 
in favor of the draft. That's not the case. But what I'm saying is like when you have like skin in the game, when you are really at risk yourself, like you never quite know somebody who's super pro war might not be that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a definitely a notable difference and one that we can be thankful for. Um, Okay. So I think actually we, uh, we do need to finish up now. So, um, I just wanted to say, uh, Beverly, thank you so much for, for volunteering to do this. Always fun talking about the Oscars and giving it some historical context as well. Um, I wanted to remind everybody that your book is called seduced by Mrs. Robinson. It is available on Amazon and various other places I would assume. So, uh, so yeah, check it out. And, and, uh, there is a review written for it, uh, at battleshippretention.com, uh, by our friend, uh, Josh Long, who is a big fan of the graduate himself. So you can check that out and then uh, head on over to Amazon and purchase a copy of seduced by Mrs. Robinson. Um, and then where else can people find, uh, find your, your work online? I believe you have a website, correct? I do. Okay. My website is beverlygray.com. Gray is G-R-A-Y. G-R-A-Y. Okay, yes, That's thank Beverly you. com, And you'll find out about that book, about my first book, which was about my former boss, Roger Corman, which is considered the definitive biography of Roger. Uh, and I believe the title for that one is just like Burning Bridges, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, Roger Corman, Bloodsucking Vampires, Flesh-Eating Cockroaches, and Driller Killers. <laughs> Uh, and I've written a biography of Ron Howard too. The tone is a little different. <laughs> I have to. I have to assume so. Yes, uh, and just partly for my own pleasure, uh, I write a blog which comes out twice a week, okay. uh, faithfully on Tuesdays and Fridays. Normally, it's called Beverly in Movie Land, and it's about movies, movie making, and growing up Hollywood adjacent. All right, that sounds great. Um, so yeah, uh, listeners, feel free to comment in the comment section about uh, uh, the current nominees or the nominees from 50 years ago. And, uh, and uh, let me know what, uh, I'm curious about this. Listeners, let me know what you think about uh, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, because uh, I don't know if, if, the, if it's just the people I know that uh, think that it's a bit dated and, and not super essential, uh, or I don't know, I... I sometimes I'm out of touch with what people actually think about things. So, so please, uh, please do weigh in. Uh, and in the meantime, once again, thank you, Beverly, for, for being a part of this and, uh, thank you for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye. <laughs>